Shabbat Shalom. So, before the snow starts falling, maybe we should say our blessing for Torah study, just just in case. Maybe it'll help with... Maybe it'll help. Well, I agree with you. Everybody's been saying snow and ice. I don't believe it. Yes. Oh, no. Everybody's... Everyone's yeah, saying yeah. it, but... They can't, can't snow in Chicago. The Tigers are there. Did anybody see that game last <laughs> <laughs> They gave up a nine-run lead. No, they a seven-run lead. They gave up a seven-run lead and ended up ending, losing the game 12-13. to 13. That's And then I did They did class. So this blessing will be for lack of snow and for the tigers and for the Torah. All together, anyone who would like to join us. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kidshanu b'mitzvotav b'tzivanu la'asot b'divrei Torah. So, leaving behind snow and tiger defeats. Um, Sorry, I'm sure you were screaming at your TV last night. I believe it. I believe it. Um, and the bagels are back, so I hope you will enjoy. Um, there are a song for that. Lots of songs, but we sang those last week. Right, Diane. Right, exactly. He didn't sing Diane last week. It was terrible. We shook him. Exactly. No, that's okay. Well, we've had lots of matzah. Now it's time to get back to the good stuff. So, <laughs> welcome back. Matzo. I do too, but but there's a limit, I suppose. <laughs> so, which is the joke that Rabbi David said? I don't, I don't remember. Let my people go. They've eaten matzah. Yeah. We'll just leave that one hanging in the air. No explanation needed. So for the Torah, we are back um, into the book of Leviticus. The portion this week is Ahare Mot. Um, and like Dr. Stern suggested, we're going to begin on page 770. Uh, and as I think we've talked about before, uh, this book of Leviticus is less story and more about specific instructions. Um, you know, the book sort of happens out of time, if you will. So if you, if you read the book of Exodus, you know, we get through the Exodus and leaving Egypt and building the tabernacle. And then really, if you skip the book of Leviticus and pick up with the book of Numbers, the story continues. So you know, this book is really in the center for something different. This is you know, the book of the Levites with instructions that some people have argued is really for the Levites, meaning everything in this book doesn't apply to any of us and only applies to the Levites. Hmm. Other people have said it used to apply to the Levites, and once we didn't kind of need the Levites because the, the temple is gone, then this starts to apply to all of us. Other people have suggested that from the beginning, this maybe was aimed at the Levites, but the message was for all of us. So different ways to look at this, right? But this book uh, is sort of out of place in that way. Um, yeah? Um, I, I called a friend to find out what the Torah portion was today, and I asked her, look in your Jewish news, I hadn't gotten mine. And it was, are the conservative and orthodox reading a different portion because it's still Passover for them? Right. 
Sure? Right. Very yeah. different. Yeah. yeah okay, because there. she I, she told me what pages, what 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 parts were being written. It was I said 16, no, it's supposed to be Leviticus. Or so, by the way, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. So, so Orthodox who are not in Israel. So Orthodox in Israel are on the same schedule as us. Yeah. Same as conservative. Yeah. So everyone yeah. in Israel is on our schedule. Because the, the way that the 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 way that works is that so does everyone know why there are the difference yes. in in yeah. days? Yes. Anyone not? Would you repeat the So, so you you know that there are in more orthodox ways there are two days of Rosh Hashanah, right. um, Passover, right in the Torah. I mean, I've I've read this Torah. It says right here it's seven days of Passover, but you've probably heard a lot of people saying it's eight days. Right, Sukkot has an extra day of a holiday, things like that. So this this doubling of the days happened because our calendar is based on the moon, and exactly when the new moon is is when we count our cycles. So if you think in an ancient way, they didn't have science the way we did. They didn't know what was going to happen exactly. So they literally would see the new moon, and then they would know this is the start of the new month. So if, for example, let's say it was cloudy they can't see anything they might not know for sure so they started doing two days for these holidays because what would happen is in Jerusalem which is where everything was based so they would look up in the sky see the moon if or no moon really you know the, the new moon and when that happened they would light a big fire on top of one of the mountains that then someone you know at the next ridge would see that fire they would light their fire and it would sort of keep going. That's how they let people know that it was a new moon. So there was sort of this connection. And it would take time for that to get to farther out places. So they wouldn't know right away. So because of that, since the word wouldn't get quickly enough to the further out places, that was the start of the doubling of the days in further places. So in Israel, they didn't have to do that. But in the diaspora, essentially, that's where the tradition started for having two days for these holidays. So that's why, for example, two days of Rosh Hashanah, Orthodox, Reform, anyone in Israel, it's just one day. But here, you know, the Orthodox community and parts of the conservative, conservative is a little mixed, but we'll also do the two days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas we, you know, the Reform movement a long time ago decided that A, um, you know, we, we do have science now and we know exactly when the moon is. So kind of no reason to keep up that tradition in a you know, Reform way. Um, and so they, they decided to go with Israel. Right? So the truth is, vast majority of Jews in the world, you know, probably as many as 85, maybe even 90% of the Jews in the world, keep the calendar the way we do. But uh, in America and other communities outside of Israel, there's a percentage who do this two-day holiday thing. So that, that's where the eight days of Passover, for example. So there, it isn't really eight days, it's a double day because of that. Thank you for the explanation. So because of that, today, right, in some places in town, is the last day of Passover. Because of that, it's a different reading. It's a special holiday reading, so they're not doing this, which is why our calendars end up a little off, that kind of a thing. So that, that's why that calendar was different. Can I ask a quick question? Uh-huh. During services last night, um, there's a phrase that you change, like one line that you change when it's a holy day, right? And we did the traditional one when we do all year. 
forgot where it was near the it's like three quarters of the way through the service maybe do you mean well? There, there's the there's the summer winter, right? Yeah. Morid, Morid, Hatal. Yeah. Is that the one you mean? No, there's one that just during the holidays, holy days, you say. High, well, high holy days. High holy. Oh, okay. I think and that's what you mean. I turned to um, Evelyn, and I said, "Is this the? It was a traditional ah, one." Right. So okay. that that one is is high holy days, not okay. any holy oh, day. Okay. Right. Yeah, thank you. Right. Yep. Anyway, so that's why we're in this Torah portion, because for us, it's, we're, just, we're in the next regular week, right? Today's a regular Shabbat. So this section here then, though, um, is going to give us some specific laws that relate to things that um, will sound familiar. So there's some things in here that are very much ancient world, but it's going to tie in uh, Yom Kippur, which is something we're all familiar with. So let's take a look at what it's going to tell us. The beginning of the portion page 770, or if you're in a different book, we're Leviticus chapter 16, uh, verse 1, the start of it. Would someone like to read a little bit to begin? Any volunteers? Okay. The Eternal One spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they drew too close to the presence of the Eternal. The Eternal One said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he's not to come at will into the shrine behind the curtain in front of the cover that is upon the ark, lest he die. For I appear in the cloud over the cover. Thus only shall Aaron enter the shrine with a bull of the herd for a purgation offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Okay, so this is recalling something that happened a little bit ago. Um, if you were here, you might remember we talked about it several weeks ago. Um, let's see, it's back in, um, uh, it's back in chapter 10. So if you wanna take a quick peek, it's page 709 for us, beginning of chapter 10. But if you remember, this is when Aaron's sons, Nadav and Abihu, brought their strange or alien fire before God and died. <clears throat> uh, so there was this sort of disturbing passage that we had looked at. That's what it's referencing. Right? So what we read today isn't when it happens, but it's referencing that moment. And it's giving us a little extra. Right? So for today, right, what is it we're trying to learn from this event? Just from the, the three verses we just read, is there anything that you can take from this that we're supposed to learn from that, or that they are supposed to learn from this? Now, it says here, this translation that we're all reading, uh, that they came too close to God. Are you in the previous one or today? Today's. Mm -hmm. And I got a slightly different right. translation as well. Great. So what does yours say? Well, uh, yeah. Um, see, I mean, basically it says that they offered the wrong kind of fire to the Lord, you know. Is that in today's or in the previous? In today. The Lord spoke to Moses after the, <coughs> after the death of Aaron's two sons, who died when they offered illicit fire before the Lord. Well, it was illicit fire. Yeah, the well, but, yeah. It was, but that was, that's not the same as getting too close, you know? I mean, it's a little different. Right. 
And, and which which version do you have uh, over there? Uh, Herb, what does it say for you? Which, which I don't know which book you have, but uh, you're talking about sixteen one. Yeah. Too close, and that's what the Hebrew says. Right. So yeah. so the, it's interesting, right? That. So so translation is always also an interpretation, right? So what your book is doing, I think, Adrian, is pointing back to what happened. And sort of you know interjecting that because that's clearly what it says the first time, right? The first time it says nothing about closeness, really. It, it's very clear they brought the wrong fire. So so your book is sort of you know interposing that to make a certain kind of point. Um, you know, in the Hebrew, it See, really the wrong kind of fire was the kind of fire they used for idols. You know, so that's a little different to getting too close to God. You know. I mean, it's it's sort of close to idolatry, which is definitely a big deal. Yeah? No question. And, and to be fair, a few weeks ago when we looked at it, it, it's not really clear exactly what that meant. Right? What was the nature of what they did wrong? Because it, it uses this term of alien fire, which seems to connect very much to idol worship, like you said, and, and all that, but it, it's not entirely clear. This one... It also doesn't rule that out. So just to be clear, what it says in the Hebrew is essentially, so I would translate it slightly differently. What I would say is, you know, that God spoke to Moses after the death of two sons of Aaron who died in their closeness. Which only means to me, it seems to be saying maybe while they were close, or you could even say too close, which doesn't mean that was the cause, and maybe it is, you know, the alien fire, which the first time is clear, uh, you know. So it might not be a cause of who died, you know, because they were too close. And even this translation, when they drew too close, like the two is, I think, what makes it sound like it's a different interpretation. Either way, it, it's changing it a little bit, which is something that happens a lot in the Torah, right? One of the one of the things that the classic commentators have always done is try to kind of fix the Torah. Right? So the Torah is filled with contradictions. If we don't think there are contradictions in the Torah, we haven't read it closely. All the time, something is said differently, or there's two versions of a story that don't seem to mix, or even things that kind of oppose each other, which to me isn't a problem. Right? And this book is complex because of things like that, but the classic response, when you sort of think of the Torah as it's supposed to be a divine document, is if there's a contradiction, or this, you know, what Adrian just pointed out, well, wait a minute, it says different things here, we've got to fix that, right? How do we make that work? So a lot of the classic commentary is about saying, oh, well, it really means this, or if you just pay attention this way, here's really what they mean, or there's a lot of that trying to, to justify it. To me, and you can decide, but this does present it a little differently. This is also a little bit later, right? One of the hard parts about the first section, if you remember, was this moment with when Aaron is silent, and, and why is he silent? Right? It's a shocking moment, and is he silent out of outrage or grief or he doesn't know or he doesn't care it's not clear so this is a little later and maybe this is with a little reflection right now there's a little more complexity to it maybe they were too close in addition to what they brought or maybe and again if you read the next section the next sentence i think 
how does this tie into maybe why it's presenting it differently in verse 1? So what does verse 2 seem to want the lesson to be here? It's also warning Aaron. Okay. And what is it warning Aaron? He shouldn't come too, too oh. close also. Lest he die. Right. So, so before... This was clearly about those sons, and they did something wrong, and that yeah, seems to be a warning, right? I mean, anytime two people get zapped, everyone else is going to now worry about what's going to happen to them. But this is much more direct. This now seems to be saying, by the way, just in case you missed the message, Aaron, like, because he's the one who's doing this, right? The, the, the person out there in his tent isn't coming in here anyway. The Levites are, and specifically the high priest of all people, is very specifically approaching God and doing these tasks. So here's the direct warning to Aaron. And maybe it says it this way because Aaron understands the good fire versus the bad fire. Could be. And maybe he would do that anyway, but don't miss the message. It wasn't just that. You also need to be careful where you go, which we did talk about last time. Part of this seems to be that the presence of God is on some level dangerous. Right? This power that is God is too much. Right? Again, get back to that incredible scene of the Ten Commandments where the people are told, don't even touch the mountain where Moses is. I mean, that, that's how much kind of energy is flowing here. There's something that is, is a positive. I mean, I don't think this is saying God's presence is, is bad. It's just it can be dangerous, right? Um, high holidays, right, which we just mentioned. What's the word that we call them? The days of awe, awe right? And the word awe, right, that implies not just beauty, but a little bit of dread. Right? There's this sense of this great power, and being in the presence of great power can be a little frightening. So somehow this is making that more explicit, two comments. First of all, if I invade your personal space, you know how we all have the space around us? Mm -hmm. It makes you uncomfortable because I've been, so maybe if you invade God's space, it's not good because it's like you're taking power. That's my first comment. Right. Okay. So, so on that, because it's interesting comment. So one thing that we know about personal space is that everyone defines it a little bit differently. Right, which is, I think, sometimes why we have problems. Because I might think, you know, I just need two inches, and I'll stand right next to you, and I have no problem, and you're recoiling, you know? It's terrible, right? So, so maybe Aaron has a different sense of personal space than God does, right? Or maybe each of us. Again, maybe the reason not to get too close is that, you know, God's kind of saying, just remember, there is a boundary. You guys might not realize what it is, but there's a boundary, right? Because again, the, the, the clo anyone remember Seinfeld? There was that episode, did anyone ever watch Seinfeld? Yeah. There was this episode, The, the Close Talker. Right? He had this girlfriend who was, who was yeah, a close talker, face. and they made this whole funny episode about the close talker, with the, the close talker. Anyway, so. Right, then the second is. Um, and sorry, maybe this is where Seinfeld got it. <laughs> He's Jewish. Why not? He, he read this Torah too. He's that well versed in the Bible? I don't know. I don't know. Um, the other thing is, I don't know, but is this the first time where there's definite roles assigned? Like Moses can do X, the Levites can do Y, and the general population can do Z because 
it looks like this is where they're saying to Aaron, okay, this is what you can do. <coughs> is this where we're defining the Kohans, the Levites, and... So, so it, it starts happening earlier, um, and part of that comes in defining their role. So, so even at the end of Exodus, you know, when they're building the tabernacle, part of that is saying what some of these roles are. Okay. And I'd have to look back and okay. see if they define this sort of thing specifically. I, I don't recall. But they, they do earlier start separating out who has the roles and who's doing what with, you know, with the tabernacle or not, that kind of thing. This is not surprising. It's a new phenomenon. They didn't have a tabernacle before. Uh, nobody had those positions before. So they knew on the job. And uh, when you're learning, you make mistakes and you pay for them. Wow. Right. Well, and, and I think you're, but, but that is part of it. I mean, they're figuring this out. Um, and it's not even just the tabernacle, right? But, but again, remember, this is still a, a slave society. Yeah. Right? This, this, the people here have known nothing in their lives but being slaves. They, they haven't had God's presence in their lives, certainly not directly. I mean, we're talking about God literally coming down, you know, to be with them in this ancient way, right? The way they thought of God, God came down. Like, if God was in the tabernacle, that meant that's where God is, not over there or up there. Like, God's coming down here. So they didn't know how to deal with that. I think you're right. And again, given the nature of God, there, there's an issue of that potentially being dangerous. And therefore, how do you learn that lesson? And again, they're told that at Sinai, so maybe that's part of what helps, but they, they need more, so they're still learning. Um, any other thoughts about Aaron's lesson here? By the way, you saw what he just did, Rabbi. He wanted them to have their space together, so he moved. Sure, sure. That was very nice. That was very sweet. So how about, how about uh, and we're on page 770. <clears throat> how about verse 3? What is that telling Aaron? While you're thinking about that, um, would someone else like to read just verses 4 and 5 to finish that little section? And you want to? Okay. <clears throat> he shall be dressed in a sacral linen tunic with linen uh, breeches next to his flesh and be girt. Uh, they are sacral. With a, with a linen sash. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. And they, shall, and they are sacral vestments, and he shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. One more. And from the <coughs> and from the Israelite where am I going? And from the Israelite community, he shall take two of two he goats for a purgation offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Okay, so yeah. I have a question. Um, how does Aaron know when it is time to come? Because Great. he can't come at will. Exactly. And, and so that's, we'll come back to that. But that's one of the points here, right? They're, they're trying to say to Aaron, I think, number one, like we discussed, don't come too close. But that's not the extent of it. Right? The first thing there back in verse two is he is not to come at will. Right? Meaning 
you can't go whenever you want. So it can't go whenever you want. You can't go too close. And what's part three from the verses we just read? You bring a bull, you bring a sacrifice to it. And? And you dress in a certain Right. There's a way that you have to come. Right? So all of this right, is saying, and again, it, I do think it's building a little bit on what happened to Aaron's sons, but it isn't just that they brought this alien fire from before. Maybe that was the biggest offense, but they're now saying, they're building on that saying, okay, Aaron, remember, here's what you need to know if you're going to come into the presence of God. You can't come whenever you want. You can't come with no reason. You have to come for a sacrifice with your animals. You have to be dressed this way. You have to have bathed first. All of this, right? It's a whole set of instructions, which basically is saying you can't just do this any way you want. Right? This is <clears throat> this is God's program, not yours. You don't have open access. You don't have access for whatever you think is important. It's only what you're told to do. Right? It's, a, it's a different model. Right? So... How does that strike you? Because, awesome. we're, again, we're talking about going to God's presence for what was really worship. Also, it says here, you have to be clean. you got to wash yourself. Right. You know? And uh, that, uh, there was another passage where they had to clean themselves before they went in the temple. So right. So that's of interest. And, and wear fine clothes, not just your regular... Uh, come from the fields and go in there. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So, so th- that reminds me of how it used to be, and now it's not so much. But when we went to the de- <laughs> temple, we had to get dressed. Right. And you know, look nice. We didn't just go there. Yes. Right. And, and by the way, not just temple, right? Anyway. I mean, think about, think about going on an airplane trip. Yeah. Right? I mean, you used to get dressed to go on an airplane. Right, I it was considered the way, a. I think of the way the doctors dress, young doctors dress in the hospital. Or doctors uh, going know, to a, a it, going to a play. Yeah, the way you dress, it really gives the impression of the kind of person you are, you know. And it's really hard to look up to somebody that coming in shabby ripped jeans and a dirty sweater or something, you know. Uh, it's very different to looking at somebody who's smart with a suit <coughs> if he's taking care of you or if he's a, you're a rabbi or, or whatever it is, you know? This is where it started. <laughs> well, well, so... I, it I, stopped. <laughs> and by the way, I, I don't think it's just the clothing. I, I mean, take that it's idea. It's the attitude. It's, it's, the, attitude. it's, the, it's the language we use. It's the the way we approach. I mean, th- this is about approaching God, but I don't think it's that different, right? I mean, the, again, th- this is, so this gets back to what I said at the beginning. Some people think this is a book for the Levites, right? Here's how you act in the temple. That, that's the point of this. Other people will tell you this, there's messages in here for us. Otherwise, you know, why are we reading it? So I think this can apply to how we approach lots of situations in our life and like Adrian said it, it, you know we all know that you make impressions about people based on all kinds of things their appearance and the language we use think of how the language in society has coarsened right we're we're not only not as formal but you know we've got problems with with how we speak and how we speak online um, so it, it goes beyond just the appearance I'm going to add a funny yeah. comment Those Well we'll decide if it's funny 
Okay, those of you who grew up in Detroit, remember when you went downtown, you wore white gloves I and you did. dressed yes. and wore yeah. Absolutely. And then when you were going to go to Northland that day, you didn't have to dress that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> before you, so I was thinking, you were talking about getting in the presence of God, and I'm thinking, okay, the God of the shopping jeans yeah. <laughs> to dress to go downtown. I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading a book about Churchill at the Long Bay Under Road, and his wife Clementine, she couldn't go to a, a, so a party of some sort because she didn't have a pair of white gloves, you know? Uh, I mean, things definitely have changed. I, I wouldn't You wouldn't what? Uh, what you're talking about, <coughs> when I was single, as, as a, Alan, as, a, as he, uh, he re when I retired from teaching, he was born. <laughs> so, no, when you started, but, so, you, 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 you were, I was born. Yes. No. Yeah, when you retired, he was born. Yes. Yeah. She retired 23 no, no. years ago. Oh, okay. oh. Oh. I thought you said you just retired. Just no. Retired. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, no. what were you were, so we were, um, when I was dating, and so I was in college then, and I was meeting a young man for lunch. He was taking his uh, downtown, he was taking his lunch break, and I took the bus downtown to have lunch with him. I had forgotten my gloves at home. I stopped and bought gloves to before going to the lunch. You're saying anytime you went downtown, you'd wear gloves? Yeah, we, wore we were dressed. Really? We were yeah. dressed. Oh, yes. And, and heels. Dressed. Well, heels, I understand, but yeah. gloves. Well, we, I remember yes. doing yes, We owned gloves. I <laughs> and you, <laughs> I had a whole drawer of gloves. Look Boy. back at some of the old pictures at Temple, too. Well, but again, I like I understand that yes, for an occasion. But, no, but oh, yes. in the old building on the high yeah. holidays, whether the weather was cold, warm, or indifferent, everybody came dressed to the hilt with their furs. And for the high holidays, they wore their mix. They did. I, I remember know. that. Well, look at the rabbis. Rabbis <laughs> always wore his long black robe when he was yeah. in the sanctuary and on the bima. Yeah. He did it as well. I was going to say that um, even today, Detroit Country Day requires the children to wear a uniform. Sure. And the boys yeah. have to wear a sweater or, or Right. And when they <coughs> lunch, they cannot be served anything that has to be picked up with their hands. They have to only be served things that they use a knife and fork. No kidding. Yes. All right, let me give you one on so, I don't know if so. it's still that way, but it was that so, way. So but our boys... So when we were still in Houston, you know, my, my temple had a day school. We, we had a full 10-year school at, at the synagogues, reform day school, um, and they had a, a uniform policy, a dress code. And before that, so I had grown up you know, in public schools, and I always, like, I, I poo-pooed uniforms. I thought they were, a, whatever, Slash. presumptuous and the whole thing. I, I never liked it. And then I started seeing it in person, and it, it was the best thing. Mm -hmm. I, I was shocked. Because I was shocked. Whether you're but not, or poor. Well, one yeah. issue was that, mm -hmm. right? It, it, you, you lost the whole, you know, some people are wearing a $300 shirt and some kids don't have it, so you lose that. But even more importantly, I think, was this whole idea that when all the kids were in a uniform, they felt different. They I mean, behaved they, they behaved, behaved differently. Behaved. They saw themselves differently. There's a... Uh, there, there's something to it that, that was really powerful that I, I would not have assumed, but then I started seeing it, and it was shocking how, I think, how impressive it was. But that's like actors who are preparing for the role, <laughs> they get dressed in their costumes, and that helps them to uh, 
get into their role. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I want to add one thing to what Carol Athletes, said. think of a uniform. Yeah, Same kind of a thing. This is the beginning. And, and, and you know, there, there are rules. Like, for example, in, in, in like, the pro sports leagues, right, there are rules about the, uh, the uniforms have to stay tucked in. Right? They can't, like, have their shirts loose. They have to be tucked in, which to some would seem, you know, crazy. But they're making a statement about how they approach it and taking it seriously and that it matters how you present yourself, even, even athletes in that sense. All right. Hello. Go there for eight years, right? So I was no, the driver. <coughs> so, you know, for the carpool because Michelle was working. So I, when I first started there, okay, the girls would be sent to the office if their skirts weren't long enough. Or they had to have in their lockers in school a pair of tights or slacks to put on. When he left the school eight years later, they were wearing skirts well above their knees, and that was just perfectly fine. So you see, even in the Jewish community, there was a huge change in the school system from, oh my God, your knees have got to be well covered, or you have tights on or something else, or you get sent home, and they would call the parents. You know? So, very quick plug. Um, so I hope a lot of you will be here next week. Um, you know, it's For my son's younger son, Abraham's bar mitzvah. <laughs> Um, and, and he, believe it or not, he's going to be talking about this. Like this in his speech, this is exactly his oh, really? primary topic, is this whole idea of how the clothes affect how you feel and how people see you and, oh, wow. and all of that. So At least he didn't get the ones be, way before here with the menses. Uh, <laughs> you, you would have found something to do with those. Yeah, actually, but. I think it's um, Rabbi uh, no, Cantor Rachel's, I think it was his, her stepson's part. Could be wrong, but I think. Oh, could be, could be. There's one other thing is that this is representative of the king's court in 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 the secular world. Mm -hmm. Let's say the the started in the king's court that when you went in the presence of the king, you didn't. Or the queen now. Or the queen, you know, the 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 head of the country. You you had a be a certain way, a certain deportment, a certain <laughs> certain dress. Sure. And uh, I think that that is, and and you don't and you, and you don't go too close, and you, and you, do, you don't you go without don't being go asked. All, all of that. So sure. I think some You're of right. that is reflected here in presenting God is in that as that kind of a, a situation. Yeah. Absolutely. And they're reflecting. How they acted to a king in a country, so you should act this way. That God is like that. The King of Kings. The King of Kings. So, right. so I think that message is in this passage too. Yeah. No. No question. And that's a lot of the pageantry, right? Is is royal? It's royal pageantry, and so here again, if if you if you approach when you're not supposed to, if you come too close, all those things. What's the penalty? death, right? which sort of happens by nature of God here, but it's the same thing, right? I mean, you think of these ancient courts, if you, want, if you go running up to the king, what's going to happen? Their guards are going to take your head off. Yeah. So it's sort of the same, it's just here, it's, it's the nature of God's presence. For an earthly king, there are people fulfilling those roles. But I think you're right, there's a lot of overlap here. 
So let, let's take a quick look at the next section, because it get, this gets into another whole idea that's kind of interesting. So we're starting at verse 6 here, over on the next page. Uh, is there someone else who would like to read a little bit, Carol? Aaron is to offer his own bowl of purgation offering to make expiation for himself and for his household. Aaron shall take the two <coughs> egos and let them stand before the Eternal at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he shall place lots upon the two goats, one marked for the Eternal and the other marked for Azazel. Aaron shall bring forward the goat designated by lot for the Eternal, which he is to offer as a purgation offering, while the goat designated by lot for Azazel shall be left standing alive before the Eternal to make expiation with it and to send it off to the wilderness for Azazel. Okay, so... Who's Azazel? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so Azazel is a place, not a person, which again, if you were, you know, the ancient ears would have heard that and known as this place very far away. Right? Like think of Azazel as just, you know, way, way out there, far away, couldn't get there in a day's walk. It, you know, it's this far away place, right? Kind of a, another wilderness location. So, Given that, that it's, it's this place, so what do you take out of this little section? What does this sound like to you? It sounds like pre preserving the species almost, that they're letting a child, uh, the goat go free, and so they're going to be more goats. <laughs> okay, so, you, so maybe this has something to do with scapegoat. the goat itself? Scapegoat. Scapegoat. So what does this have to do with a scapegoat? What does the word is is a transfer to the scapegoat is the one that carries So, and just to clarify, so there's an overlap always between our text and the ancient Near East, right? Some people like, some people don't like. For example, the, you know, seven days, right? People ask why seven days of creation? One answer is all within our own story. The truth is there was a, a seven-day cycle that the ancient Mesopotamians used before us. So it kind of is borrowed. So this name, right, in, in other societies was this demonic figure, right, a, a god, if you will, which our tradition didn't use it that way. So I, 
and again, I, I don't want to quibble. I'm not sure I would say it's incorrect that it was a place. I think our people understood it as a place far over there, which, by the way, is where you know the God that God was, which is why I'm saying it's not in our reach. So it became used as a place name, even though it started as this this demon. You know, e- either way, you know, the point is it's you know way over there this this place or a person over there where we're sending this this goat, right? And exactly, right, this is where the term scapegoat comes from. So scapegoat, I think the way we use the term, right, think about it, is that's where we blame, right? You know, th- right, that's how we use it in our, in our language, right? A scapegoat is whatever happens, something wrong, that, that's the person that we blame, right? That, the scapegoat takes the blame and literally takes the blame, right? Takes it away. So kind of like you were saying, it's not on us. Whatever really happened, the scapegoat takes the blame, so, so yes, that's where this comes from, is this exact ritual. So how does this, why is this in here? What, what's it doing here? Whether it's, again, this demon, this place, this, this goat, what's it doing here? I don't think it's, I don't see it as taking the blame. I think it's pinning our sins compared to goat. <clears throat> so that is what expiation would mean. I've done something wrong, so now this goat is going to pay for my sins. Okay, good. Mm. Well, so that gets to the question of what's it doing here. I was saying okay, so the term scapegoat, I'm first. saying the term scapegoat, the way we use it, is about blame, right? We blame someone, you know, they're going to be the scapegoat. But, yes, here, what's happening is, you're right, because this is all about Aaron, right, making expiation for himself and his household, Right. And and when does this take place? When do we make expiation? When do we try to remove sins from ourselves? Yom Kippur, right? So so this is this is Yom Kippur ritual. It's ancient Yom Kippur ritual, but that's what's going on here. And so say again what you said. What's it doing here? Well, to <clears throat> to bring my sins on somebody and the goat is going to assume the responsibility of what I've committed. Right. So the assumption here is that we've made mistakes, which is the assumption that we still have for Yom Kippur, right? Not, by the way, just no one said this, but just to be clear, this is not that we are sinners, right? This is different than the Christian concept. This doesn't imply that we have sin upon us all the time, but what it means is we make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes throughout the year. So here we are saying, I've done these things wrong, what do I do about them? And this now becomes a ritual for removing sin from ourselves, right? For expiation. So how does that, how would that work? Like, what do, again, what do goats have to do with it? They don't, they are victims. Okay, so one would be their victims, right? These are innocent goats. The goats didn't do anything wrong. Right, we're using them for our own purposes. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing. Because? It's not fair. No, because you're not taking responsibility for things you've done yourself. But if the goat is free now. Well, is it? It's so, so what? To go somewhere. Well, hold on, hold on. What happens with the goat? Goes There's two goats. One Thank you. One is There's sacrifice. two goats. Yes. Right? So, so what's happening with the goats? One is sacrificed, one is set free. And one is set free. Right. So. But to an exile. Yeah. yeah. 
not toward war, but it's still taken from its habitat. Sure. Sure. So, so, and, and I think even you know what you said, Fred, is interesting, right? You just said the problem is that we're not taking responsibility. So, do, is that true? Well, it frees us from guilt. Okay. I mean, we might know that we did it, but we don't have to feel guilty now because we put it on the scope and let the goat go away. So, right here, my so we're not guilty anymore. <laughs> we don't have to feel guilty about having done something bad, especially now that we also do a sacrifice with the other goat. So we we, we did something, a sacri- made a sacrifice because we did something wrong, but we set it on this other goat, so we don't have to feel guilty about it. Okay, could be, maybe that, Carol. Is that like Tashla? Isn't Tashla? Where we in Yom Kippur, yeah. we go to the river and send the sins down. Great. The same type of thing? Great. Right, yeah. exactly. So, so Tashli, what are we doing? We're disposing of the sin. How? But you want to take a chicken or something. Well, okay. No, no. So we'll, we'll come back to that. That's different. So wait, hold on. Yeah, we'll come back to that one second. That, that's different than the Tashli. So Tashli, what are we doing? Sending the sins down. Right, and how do we do it? What do we do? Throw bread, throw bread crumbs. Crumbs. We do bread, but it used to be paper. Well, breadcrumbs, right? We, we take these breadcrumbs and we, we imbue them with our sins, right? The, the, the idea is we're supposed to say, here's something, I, you know, here's my sin. Here's something I did wrong. I'm, you know, taking that, putting it into the breadcrumb, throwing it away physically. And then what happens to the breadcrumb? No. Traditionally. The fish eat it. The fish eat it. Right, the fish eat it, which is important because the whole point is there's this idea that the sin is being transferred to something else that, by the way, is living, which matters to another living creature who then can take it away for us. Right, because because living creatures, aside from humans, aren't human. So, and again, I I understand Ray's concern about the innocent goats, but. At least theologically for us, and the rest the of the, fish. the, the <laughs> <laughs> but but the rest of the animals aren't like us, right? They they don't have a soul, right? Animals are living creatures created by God, but they don't have a soul the way we do. So we treat them differently for what it's worth. Again, I'm not justifying it, but it has to be another living creature that then takes this thing away. Aren't we talking about sins? To, we have to differentiate because I hear at Yom Kippur sins against God, not sins against it's another man. person. But well, you have to ask a person to forgive. But but does you it have to go to, to when it's when you sin against another person? You have to ask the person to forgive you. And the person but you can't talk to those fish. <laughs> well, you, you can you can talk to them, but they won't talk back. There's something about the eyes. True. So, so so that by the way, so that by the way, sure, you never know. So so that is how we think of it, and that's clearly in our liturgy. But that's not here, right? This whole idea of you know sins against another human being versus a sin against God, right? That that's not here. This is just sins. So this seems but, to predate even that idea, that there's a difference. But aren't we talking about going back to where uh, number two, going back that Aaron was not to come too close. So that would be with God. 
but that is learning the rules. I mean, he, we're novices at this point. But also he that. But but I think but that's a different issue than this, right? So okay. that that's about how Aaron enters the shrine. But this is a separate ritual here. But it's right? comparing it with his sons. I could see. Maybe, maybe. I'm not sure if it's still doing that because oh, you know this okay. this moves between yeah. topics. But it, it seems to be first giving this lesson, and now it's saying, okay, and now here's the next piece of it, right? There's this separate ritual because this this part of the ritual isn't about being in the shrine. Right, this is this is a separate ritual with these two goats. So a lot of animals are being killed. Okay, so here we've got the the goats and the scapegoats. You mentioned the fish with Tashli, and then what did you mention, Carol? Oh well, I was just going to say. Um, oh wait, just before that. The oh, the chicken. Yeah, the chicken. Right. So anyone know what that's about? Chicken over the head. Yeah. Has anyone seen that? Yeah, I've heard of it. Right, so it's called Kaparot, Kaparot, which is also connected to Yom Kippur, and it's it's really the same thing. So what's happening, and by the way, this still happens today, some places. It's it's terrible, I think, but it still happens some places in especially ultra orthodox communities that you take a chicken, and really what you're doing is same thing. You're transferring your sins to the chicken. Part of the ritual is waving the chicken around over your head while it's still clucking, right? They do this, and then they sacrifice it, right? They, they cut off the head of the chicken. So it's, it's, again, the same thing. It's this transferring of sin to another living creature and then somehow cutting it off. The fish swims away. The goat goes to Azazel. The chicken is killed, right? Somehow, we are, our sins are being taken away by these animals. Is it permissible to eat the chicken? Yes. Once it's slaughtered, then yes. Again, something about slaughtering the chicken, you know, kind of whatever. Dissipates whatever is in there. So what do we do here? (laughs) Well, great. So so what do we do here? I have a question going back to what you said. Sure. But just before that, so what do we do here right, with all these rituals? So the other part of these is that these rituals have all evolved, every one of them. So Tashlich, we still do that, maybe a little differently, right? And, and some, there is sometimes people use paper. Sometimes people, we still go to the river with bread, you know. It happens to be ducks these days that are over there. We still fish. do it to human beings. I mean, because everybody wants to place the blame on the Somebody. person on who's lowest on the totem pole. That yes, although I think that's a little different than the, the ritual idea. I mean, the point here is how do we how do we remove sin from ourselves separately? Yes, I think we we clearly still blame and want to shift all that. But in terms of the ritual, you know, some people still do the chicken, but tradition, traditionally, I can't remember where it started. It must have been Middle Ages, but there actually is Jewish law that says you don't have to do it with an actual chicken. You can do it with money. You can take money, transfer your sins into the money, and then give the money away, right? Which is symbolically supposed to be like the chicken. Right? I know it doesn't have the same quite impact, but... You pay but, someone the, the money? Uh, well, it's not paying someone exactly. 
sort of. But, but the ritual sense is like you wave the chicken, right, and transfer. You're saying, I'm going to take my sins, put them into this object, which isn't a living being, this object, which is this money, and then it, like the chicken, you've got to get rid of it. So it would be a donation. It has to be a donation. You're not paying someone for something, but a, a donation. And then that person in need takes the money and goes away with it. Charity. Right? So that, it's like a charity. Right? And, and this, by the way, this, this uh, scapegoat ritual is part of our liturgy at Yom Kippur. And, and this year you'll, you'll, you'll notice it. We, we talk about this in the book. It talks about this because, again, we don't do this anymore. But the symbolism behind it, the ritual behind it needs to stay because still to this day, we want to rid ourselves of our sins. I mean, that's sort of the point of all this. And this was a different way of doing it. But the question I think becomes, how does what we do relate to this? And is it the same thing? There's something very tactile about this. It's physical. Obviously, we're talking about living creatures, which I think emotionally, and and by the way, the first thing you said was that there's this guilt something just feels wrong about it and then someone else said you know we're we're it, it's bad because uh, we're removing ourselves from the guilt but maybe that was actually the point of the living creature it, maybe even back then you would feel something with with these creatures and so you are feeling an emotional reaction even though you're putting the the you know the blame somewhere else and getting rid of it yeah we want to feel maybe. That we're pure again we that, we do that we're okay and we know we did something wrong and we want to do something to get forgiveness Absolutely. For ourselves, even. Absolutely. So now yeah. we have prayer, really. Exactly. So we've replaced the this. Reform movement, at least. And Orthodox. Again, most of this, so the chicken isn't here in the Torah, but, but yes, they still do that. But in Orthodox, too, right? I mean, there, there's a whole prayer ritual that we go through at, say, Yom Kippur, which has replaced this. So it's not reform. It is reformed because, you know, my position is we're all reformed Jews, meaning Judaism has reformed itself continuously for thousands of years, and this is a reform. I mean, this is, here's what you're supposed to do on Yom Kippur. Nobody does this. We've all reformed, and we do it a different way. So, um, quickly, last few comments, and then um, we do have a bar mitzvah that I have to go and meet. Okay, real quickly. I always try and find in the text where people can use things to make anti-Semitic comments. Or the way we you live, can like find that all over the place. Yeah, okay, so is this something that is often brought up or, or thought about? Like, okay, they don't believe that they're, you know, maybe they'll hold it for a year until the next time they have to do a sacrifice, but then they get rid of everything bad that they did and then they can start again. Has it ever been used for anti-Semitic reasons? I, 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 I don't want to say it never has. I'm not but sure. Basically, but it's not something that's... Well, this, this isn't something that was <laughs> in... Well, you, you can do horrible things this, to people, but... Well, this, but this, this isn't something that was in practice when anti-Semitism sort of began. Right? This was already gone. So I'm, I'm not sure if this is used quite in that way. Okay. Um, other things about the holidays in Yom Kippur, in particular, um, Kol Nidre, you know, has been used for anti-Semitism because... You know the statement we're making is whatever, whatever I, you know, whatever promise I make, whatever vow I make, it doesn't really matter. I can just nullify it, right? right? Which has been used to say you can't take a Jew at their word, right? They have this; they say it out loud every year. They say my vows don't matter, so that's a problem. Okay. Which which misunderstands Kol Nidre, but in any case, that it, yes, it's been used against us. I would like to clarify this. Very few people know what they have done that is wrong. So doesn't this mean that 
whatever, if I have done something, conditional, if I've committed a crime or a sin, then I want to be absolved of it. So, so I'll end with this. Those yeah. are the privilege, those are you, yeah. actually, yeah. on the yeah. but if I have done wrong. But, 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 don't we, forget. It's always we. All, like the right the list that we do right you know when we like beat the chest and say ashanu bagadnu those things we all say and part of the point of doing that is we might not realize we've done them we might not know we might not have done them but we all do it anyway right so part of this right Aaron is to make expiation for himself and his household this doesn't say if they've done something wrong it says he makes expiation the assumption is we do this because we've all made mistakes, even if we don't think so or don't want to admit it or don't even know about any of that. But we do this anyway, and we all do this. So that's why Yom Kippur, I think, is still powerful because it isn't... The best part is for us to start at Rosh Hashanah or even in Elul before that and, you know, think about it. What have we done? What do we want to... All that. But even if we haven't, you can show up on Yom Kippur, say those words. We all say them because we, all of us, have to do this. Whatever we might think, we all have to do this. And I, I think that is what it's saying here. So obviously, a lot of richness here. There's lots more. Um, do apologize that I have to run over to the bar mitzvah. But thank you for fantastic discussion this morning. I loved it. Shabbat shalom. And I will see everyone shortly.